Hey guys, the uh, Finleys here, and we'd like to talk to you about something. Tommy, take it away. All right. So, uh, look, folks, we're uh, trying something a little bit different today. We are going to, um, well, probably over the next couple of podcasts, we're, we're, we're sort of inserting, I guess, just our, I don't know, like sitting on the porch talking about a few subjects that we're going to bring, and we're going to insert that at the beginning of the episode. Now, um, we don't, for people who are not interested in hearing that, we are going to, we are ultimately talking about Peter Sellers and three of his movies. So uh, if you would like to uh, skip through our nonsense and get straight to the Peter Sellers, uh, Joe, what do we have for a timestamp? Yeah, um, if you want to skip all the beginning nonsense, just go to minute mm, 47, I would say. And somewhere around there, and you can skip right to that. Yeah. But if you want to give us a chance... Yeah, we'd, uh, give us a chance. And if give not, us we'll a meet chance. You. If not, we'll meet you on the other side in Peter Sellersville. All right. So somewhere around 47, 47 and a half, we'll be there. Right. Bye, folks. Cheers. Take two middle-aged men who happen to be cousins and share a common codependency on movies. Put them in a room and tell them to talk about anything film-related. The result? An existential exposition of cinematic synergy we call The Finleys on Film. So, um, Bill Maher makes these um, comments a couple of weeks ago. We've been off for a couple of weeks here. Mm-hmm. Um, the holidays and whatnot. So we haven't done a show in a couple weeks, but Bill Maher um, made comments a couple, maybe two and a half weeks ago when Stan Lee died. Yeah, yeah. And a week so ago, maybe. I don't think it was that long ago. But anyway, so it's regardless. It could have been. So so um um uh-huh. so the two two players here, right? So there's Stan Lee right. and then there's Bill Maher. And you know, I don't know. What do you think of Bill Maher? Bill Maher. Um, I think Bill Maher has been a great comedian in his day, and I think right now he's he's he still does comedy, but he's yep. but he's kind of more of a rhetorician than he is a com- comedian at this point. Yeah, okay. like he's really sort of pushing a you know definitely you know he's he's got his agenda and he pushes that agenda and that kind of takes him out of comedy a little bit more over in the rhetoric area. So, that, but I think he's uh, you know he's been a fantastic entertainer. He's still entertaining to watch. I don't think he's. His points uh, no, are uh, maybe he comes across as a little overbearing sometimes, but I don't think so. his points are bad as a rule. Yeah, he's a douchebag for sure. <laughs> yeah, okay, well, there you go. <laughs> well, I, mean, he's I a, think his points are good. He's douchebag. Super, super talented. He can be um, funny. I, I, yeah, I mean, I agree. There are things he says that, that seem um, smart, clever, on point, yeah. um, and things he says that are just like he's an ideologue. Like it's he's going to oh, wrap he it around. Totally this. pushing his own agenda. And yeah. the other thing too is sometimes his uh, his tone and his delivery is off putting. It just is. Yeah. Well, he's a smarmy bastard. Is what he is. <laughs> he's he's very very smarmy. And, yeah. In the way that Hitchens was smarmy, but the the thing is, I, I think Bill Maher is smart, but he's not Hitchens smart. So, and also, he didn't have an accent. So, yeah. Well, how acceptable you are as a smarby bastard is in relationship to how smart you are and and your English accent. Yeah, your British sure. accent totally fucking hell. So, yeah. I mean, I think we can. Southern accent place wouldn't on that. work at all. And it's almost like you know, comedians kind of ruin themselves when they become um, not political. It's not like p- political comedy is bad, but but they, when they become overly, they can be committed commit, to the. They commit far too much to one side versus the other. But yeah. he's got this other thing going on where it's. Like like you say, he he transitioned to to what you're calling a rhetorician, and then he has the comedy writing team behind him yeah. to sort of like supplement it. So it's like it's not a show. For instance, Real Time with Bill Maher is not a show that I'll watch very often. I'll mm-hmm. typically like see a, you know 15 minute segment on YouTube or something, and it's like yeah. Sometimes I turn it off. Sometimes he's on point. But right. to me, when Stan Lee died. Now, Stan Lee, of course, is the, um, the, the the guy who the founder of well, one of the founders of Marvel Comics and the person most associated with it. 
and and you know which is now which is now officially a multi a multi uh, media empire. Well, I mean, Stanley has this sort of interesting history, right? Like, it's you know, he, every once in a while they go through people like um, Charles Schultz. I'm not comparing Charles Schultz to Stanley. They did different things, but they were illustrators and mm-hmm. and and conceptual, you know, people. Um, and like so, Stanley, like Charles Schultz, was kind of ahead of the curve in terms of like. Um, Kind of integrating like race um, into yeah, the comics because he had to he had to appeal to young people and back mm-hmm. in the '60s when he was really sort of really popping and, and grooving on all of the cylinders and being yeah. very creative and created a lot of the characters that that are that are sort of iconic now. Young people were buying the magazine. He had to figure yeah. out what the fuck they wanted to see, so he did. And so, so of course, he became you know rich and 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 um, and well known in that community. But he becomes a lot more well known later on as he's attached to like I'd say the last twenty years of the onslaught the, of superhero movies, the Marvel Cinematic Universe appearing in them. And because because of the internet, mm-hmm. I, I would say because of social media, he's also got kind of had a Betty White like status, right? Like good old there he is, ninety five uh, year old Stanley. We right. love him, and, you know? and helped by that was the, the the popularity of the movies and the fact yeah. that he always there was, he, there was always a cameo. Yeah, I shudder to think if they're going to be doing cameos like CGI cameos, a hologram. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, so th- what brings us all together is that um, Stanley dies, uh-huh. and Bill Maher essentially says, and you know, I have the whole sort of um, you know article in front of me, but but I'm going to try to summarize it here. He basically says, look, Stanley is responsible for things like Trump getting elected. Mm. And the reason that is, is is because um, we somehow found it acceptable to throw away literature and call this literature. It's like the replacement. And we have um, man children walking around the world um, who are more, it's not like they're supplementing it Mm -hmm. with, you know, this sort of interesting way to sort of decompress Right, mm-hmm. like it were one. It would be one thing if um, responsibly thinking adult males, particularly, had this sort of like way to decompress with the Incredible Hulk or something. Right, right. But they actually are. It, it's sort of like hand in hand with like um, I'm adding. I'm editorializing here and adding, but like camouflage shorts. <laughs> All night sessions with Red, you know, Redemption Two, uh-huh. um, wanting to have the new video game out immediately so you can play it um, all night and all day instead right. of doing adult things. Um, and so Bill Maher essentially said, "I'm going back to more of a paraphrase here. What happens is it creates a whole culture where um, if you pay your auto insurance, um, you you s- sort of announce to the world that you've been adulting and doing hard things." <laughs> And that was an actual example he used. Right. And you know what? So it's interesting because he's yeah. not talking necessarily about the dumbing down of America, but the juvenilization. What make the, What's the distinction? Well, I think that, well, the, there's there's immaturity, uh, and then there's dumb, and then there's stupid. And they can they they can be kissing oh. cousins for sure. Yeah, I think he's so he's yeah. making he's kind of making both arguments, but but yeah. largely he's really talking about the immaturity. Well, I guess so. And it's it's not only the immaturity, but it's that it's that we institutionalize it. Yeah. We accept it. So it's like it's not like oh, this is Rodney who's now thirty five and lives in his mom's Weird. basement and Adult. does his thing. It's like these are 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 a large po- part of the male population primarily uh, who walk around. And it's sort of like, you know, it used to be um, uh, juvenile um, males were one of the highest sort of like audiences that you wanted to market movies to. Right. But you don't have to. It's just just males. Right. And it's and it's like put out a new superhero movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, I, I mean, I have other problems with the superhero 
movie phenomena and and but I think he's right at the start. I think he's got a good point. Yeah. I I'm not usually that much on board with something Bill Maher says, but I think mm-hmm. he's on point here that that um well, I don't know. What do you think first? Well, first off, I, uh, my problem with it is he's causing it he's calling it basically causative and I would say that this is I think this is more of an effect uh than than strictly speaking a cause or maybe one of many different causes. This yeah. is there's a lot of there's a, I think I, the, 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 my response is there's a lot of like this is one turtle in the yurtle stack here, yeah. but I mean there's a bunch of other turtles going on. You're saying it's correlation, not not cause. Yeah, that's that's pretty much what I'm. I saying. don't even know that he's making that much of a, a distinction. I mean, when he makes a statement like this is how you get Trump, but that's the, right. in in our world it, it moves so quickly yeah. that it's sort of like causation and cor- correlation, sort of like they they can easily be conflated. I mean, that you can ju- be justified in conflating right. them because it's like. You know, if you if you now see yourself as something that would have been seen as a loser before, but now it's like, first of all, we can't say that anyone's a loser, right? That's <laughs> right. like f- forbidden, right? Um, but it's also like this this totally acceptable thing to right. be like a forty year old man riding a skateboard and playing <laughs> video games all night on your way to like the newest of like the 12 superhero movie you've seen this year. And it's like, yeah, it is. And then also like, I think it couples with the term adulting. So it's like, yeah, you're right. It's, it's more of a, um, a symptom than the disease itself. Mm -hmm. But in a way, the more we accept or like turn a blind eye to the symptom, it sort of festers as a disease. I think that's a fair argument. And I would go further (laughs) and say that I might be, I might be that I'm being a little nitpicky on this because as a comic and comic and or rhetorician, in this situation, nuance is nuance doesn't uh, reward you. Oh, you mean he's he's unable to go to? Well, uh, it's just he, easier for him to go. This is causing this. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, path of least resistance. So I get that part of it. And so maybe I'm being a little nitpicky, no, but fair. I think it's kind of an important thing to say. Yeah. But I would say I, I don't necessarily find a lot of fault with like it, I kind of feel that way. I guess my other question is this. Yeah. Here's I think. <coughs> so I think we, you, and I agree. That there is an immaturity that mm-hmm. has become that has really sort of grown rampant in yeah. our society, uh, particularly uh, um, among males. But I don't think it necessarily unaffects females. Either. No, no, no. Um, so the question, the next question is: Is that a bad thing or is that a good thing? That- it feels bad to me, but that's just because I'm. It, but my question is, and I, and I think it's a valid question: Is that mm-hmm. just because I come from a time period different? Like, is this going to be, when we get to the nuclear fucking wasteland, yeah. is this going to be a useful survival skill for them? What's the that that you're talking about more specifically? Is this what immaturity. About oh. This sort of rampant immaturity. I'm like saying, like, is this like, is this, you, you know, because we, we have to behave in a way that's going to help, you know, sort of our survival as a people, as a species, as mm-hmm. a person in that, in this culture. Is it, uh, this is, like I said, you know, when the wasteland shows up, is this going to be helping them or killing them? Well, I think killing them, but I, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. We make ourselves bad partners to, um, you know, in relationships and mm. to our children, not just our parents, but to our own children, because right. these people have children. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And also to our coworkers. I think we make ourselves bad partners to all these people. And, and in fact, I think that that's actually, I should say, past tense. We've made ourselves bad partners, but now our partners are just as bad. Like the more this grows, the more it's it becomes sort of like well, who is going to be in charge? Right. When you have a world of people who are like using the term adulting for very basic things, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? Like, I, who's going to be in charge? Right. 
I get, yeah, you know, and I, and I would have to, you know what, and uh, let me let me throw this out there. I think you and I, our generation, just specifically our generation, yep. we're part of a continuum that's led to this. Like, we're part of sure. this immaturity. We, we, we're, we're a much less, like, like you know, us versus, like, people from the 1950s or something yeah. like that. Yeah. And their approach to duty and, uh, and all this kind of stuff. You know, ours is a much more lax approach than theirs was for sure. Yeah. So we're part of this continuity that's led up to this to the situation here. I don't, but now that being said, I don't know that trying to take responsibility for it is what's going to fix it. I think we just. I think it just needs to fix. Well, but maybe maybe just talking about it the way you did because that's an. It seems like an important thing that you just said that that we don't have that sense of duty or obligation. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so, like, maybe that's something we can do. I mean, yeah, I get it. It's Stan Lee and it's Bill Maher and it's about <laughs> comics. Right. But it's kind of the point that comics. You know, you should be able to brush off the topic of of comic books. Like, well, it's comics. Why are you making such a big deal? Because they're a big deal. In the world, they yeah, yeah, and they 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 symbol they're they're a great metaphor for like how we're acting, right? Okay, so allow me not to fly under under a false flag on this one here. I like comic book movies. You're a man. You're a terrible person. (laughs) Well, there you go. Uh, And I grew up collecting comic books, so I get so so. There's a lot of it. It was my nerd for a long period of time. So I watch a lot of these movies, but I don't think they're important, and I don't think they're literature, and I don't I don't think this is anyone's making Citizen Kane. Well, so that's that's my okay. So then. That's where I, I I take the argument on beyond Bill Maher because he's not ta- he talked a little bit or, or sort of implied the effect on literature or entertainment that it has, but this is where I have a problem with it is that I think it's very it's inherently bad literature because mm-hmm. um, whether it's the film or whether it's the comic book and I, I do make a, a distinction between like graphic novels I think there are graphic novels that are that are important that are interesting and like mm-hmm. you know uh, uh, Walter Nebuchadnezzar and and Mouse and and all of these that are really intensely interesting pieces of literature mm-hmm. but most of these comic books don't and and the problem is that they're stuck in formula I mean it's just nothing but a continual formula uh-huh. and almost nothing new is examined and and so it's really refreshing if you see Guardian of the Galaxies it's kind of refreshing because it's it's um, at least got a meta premise mm-hmm. and it's infused it's making fun of itself and it's infusing humor in the whole thing Deadpool. so it's like and I, I would say Deadpool the same thing so you have these exceptions and so like yeah I'm open to, to seeing those but the rest of them it doesn't sort of forward literature um, at all yeah. and, and the reason I think that's important is the same reason I think it's important when a Kardashian um, gets a 10 million dollar book deal um, to write, you know, whatever latest version to, of to her memoir, right, yeah. to get ghostwritten, it's like, well, who gives a fuck? Don't read it. I agree. Don't read it. I mean, it's not like it should be, you know, outlawed or something. But the, the problem is that is like. 100 novelists who won't get published because yeah. there's a limited, you know, it's finite publishing right. resources. Right. And I would say the same thing for films. Like, you know, I think about all the interesting films that get made occasionally, you know, but they get no marketing, get, you know, mm-hmm. released occasionally. You, you stumble onto it and you're amazed by it. And it's like, really? Another fucking Stan Lee Nothing. Oh, so this is where Aurora starts licking its own butt. Okay, so the, the fucking yeah, worm sorry, so, tail. Sorry. Yeah. Well, so, I, so because because yeah. because the reason I mean because because, 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 because because like I like I, I I would say I think of superhero movies as simply entertainment, but I yeah. think your point is quite valid. Yeah, those are that that is movies not getting fucking made. Well, that's for th- sure, well, and that's that's troubling. But the the the, the point the, the problem is is that it's the profit motive driving that. 
And so we're now, we're yeah. now, we're now, it's like chicken or egg time again. We're back to the, our immaturity as a society and the sheer profit motive. And I don't think I don't know that they're 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 extricable. But but just but but the thing that it's just entertainment. The first part of your statement there. I don't. I mean, I don't have a. I'm not a monster. I don't have a problem with like having just uh, entertainment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but just entertainment in your life. But a lot of these people aren't treating it like just entertainment. Yes, it's not like yes. oh yeah, yes. you know, I'm really yes. interested in the world of, of of film and 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 literature. And yeah, you know, I mean, it's so much better than Moby. Dick. Tom, Shut every up. fucking every year, yeah. I beg my wife yeah. to get me a Mad Magazine subscription <laughs> because I I adore I adore Mad Magazine, right? Mm. But it's like I'm not going to just get Mad Magazine type article and push all other books aside, and yeah, other people do, would. and that they're would be so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> teach a, a class in existential motifs of <laughs> Alfred E. Newman. That'd be great. And you'll notice his feet make wonkety 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 sounds as he walks. Okay, all right. So this uh, this um, oh. to me. Yeah, for some reason leads a little bit into my experience last night. I um, went with my wife and one of our granddaughters to see um, Bohemian Rhapsody, mm-hmm. which everyone was. I've heard rhapsodic about. <laughs> Were they Bohemian about it as well, Joseph? Well, there's lots of things. First of all, I mean, who I, anyone our age uh, is should be interested because it's Freddie Mercury and Queen. Yeah, I love. I think Queen is one of those bands. I forget how much I love them, yeah. and I love and Freddie Mercury, and I love for, I love Brian May. What a great guitar sound! That 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 band has two like certifiable geniuses. Absolutely, running, I don't know about the other two. I really don't know about that. I, but Brian May, it was a brilliant guitar. The Bass player whose name I can't remember. It was a great writer, yeah. but yeah, but, but whatever. And Freddie Mercury was like he's Freddie Mercury. I don't know how else it's to say. That. I mean, if you don't it appreciate who he is, multiple talented individual. Even his shitty albums from the '80s are kind of good. <laughs> yeah, it's a crazy little thing called love. Well, no, I mean beyond that, even oh, there's yeah, some like yeah, yeah. Radio Gaga. I, was, oh. I thought it was a terrible song, but I, I revisited. It's kind of good. Well, hold on. Flash. Oh, oh Flash Gordon. Great. Still wonderful. <laughs> it's terrible, but it's wonderful. That was the thing. They were with their weird approach. Yeah. They're, they're like their own category of rock and roll, as far as I'm oh, concerned. Oh, for sure. There's nobody else was quite there, like, oh, well, you know, like prog rock. Yeah, it's sweet. This is not prog rock. This is not like, exactly. this is opera and rock. That's what it is. It's one it's fucking exactly song. Exactly that. So, it's exactly that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. So, so I cannot, I, I love Queen. They're not my favorite band. No, yeah. but I would almost, there's not a, I can't think of a Queen song I would turn from. Oh yeah. I would hit my, hit the, hit the pause, or, you know, hit the, the skip button on my, my Pandora. Don't skip it, baby. Oh no. Don't no skip shit. the Queen. Oh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what the fuck did that um, Yeah, so, so. Okay, so anyways, back I'm ready to this movie. To, I'm ready to enjoy this movie. Which I haven't movie. seen, by the way. And I, I, nothing I'm going to say is going to blow it for you, but I, I don't think, but. But it's like, did you um, know Freddie Mercury was gay? I, it was a little too gay for me. Um, <laughs> did you know? I didn't know he was Middle Eastern, but uh, by did, birth, uh, that was uh, Pakistani. Was he, yeah, that, it was, yeah, you're right. It is Pakistani. Yeah, yeah. I, did, I actually didn't either. That's just sort of like um, not surprising. That's just being who we are in the world. Like what? I <laughs> know. <laughs> well, I can see. It. Okay. Wait, Sammy Davis was black. <laughs> And then yeah. you congratulate yourself. I don't see color. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so uh, you know, it's uh, you're interested. It first of all, it's it's technically well made. And right. I know I don't just mean like competent. Like there was something about the cinematography that was really cool. Uh-huh. Um, you know, it's packed full of Queen songs. So it's fucking. It's 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 like it was a musical though. Was... No, no. But you can feel like that sort of like a tingly feeling when like a, a Queen song is played over like a good sound system. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, I, I admit that I was probably a little distracted by the gang, the gaggle of drunken teenagers who were talking loudly for a, a lot of the movie, but I was able to push my way through it. Yeah, like, like getting the management in on this bitch. Yeah, the guy who played Freddie Mercury did a really, really good job. He did, right? okay. Except for this. Freddie Mercury had big teeth, or extra teeth and a big mouth. Uh-huh. Ridley Scott designed this guy's chompers. I mean, it's right out of Alien. It's it, Honestly, Tom, there are, there are teeth poking through his cheeks at certain parts. I'm not joking about that. Right, so it's a little over that, but that's not the actor's fault. Yeah. And here's the here's one of the things. Even when you're a really good actor in a biopic. Oh God, hold on, back, oh, stop. That was an aliens reference a minute ago. Oh, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> I've, go see aliens and yeah, I worried somebody sorry the jaw. I, okay, okay, go. So, so um, biopics have changed. I think because it used to be like you'd have like um, uh, uh, Newt Rockney or like you know the Stratton mm. story or something, and it kind of didn't matter. And what happened is actors in Hollywood didn't try to play like do an imitation, an right. impersonation. Right, right, right. And what happened is somewhere <laughs> along the line, they started Jamie, doing that. Jamie Foxx. Jamie Foxx. bastard. Well, he, well, the thing is, Jamie Foxx did a great impersonation. <laughs> and and Philip Seymour Hoffman did a great impersonation uh, of Capote. And and I think this guy, I'm sorry, I don't remember his name, did a great impersonation of Freddie Mercury. The problem is, it's like, in order to do a good impersonation, you have to latch on to the most, first of all, the, so, yeah. the, the, the lowest most, hanging fruit about their character. And the most extreme people to begin with. So sure. Truman Capote, it's like, first of all, he was like, he was droopy, right? So it's like, what do you got? You have to do that. But but the effect is so much of of a film like that is sort of like focusing on that the lowest so, hanging fruit. So, so the hard part of when you're doing that is to not roll it over into into comedy and, and or cartoon. And I think he did as good a job as he can, right? Okay. So so then what you're you're stuck with is how do I make this beyond this actor like in, in, inhabiting this role or this person's spirit or whatever? How do I make a good film around it and still sort of stay true to the events that happened? Right. You know, and the and the actual person. Yeah. So there's a couple things like there were things that were just not factually right and mm. and it's like i'm just a casual queen fan but it's like they do the first album and they're like we need a we need a second album that's gonna smash everything and they i got it a night at the opera and then quickly i went through the rolodex in my mind i'm like that's like the fourth or fifth album <laughs> so it's sort of like one of those things where it's like yeah shut up Voth. yeah but you know that's that's how it is yeah, yeah. but the other thing is you're doing a biopic so it- yeah you did that, it. Did I say that you right? You said it right. Biopic. Oh, shit, okay. Yeah. Oh, Tom usually so says anyways, biopic for some reason. But go dude, ahead. So anyways, so they're doing a bio, biopic. Oh, so you screwed yourself Christ. twice there, right, Tommy. Well, do it on purpose that time. <laughs> go ahead. No, but, the, but they're doing it. You, you owe some fidelity to the actual story of what the fuck you're talking yes, about. Yes. Now, That's you can, as long as, I mean, you, you can, can't do that, fuck you. You can have some poetic license to sort of like maintain a, a emotional honesty yeah. and, you know, I mean, fine, whatever. But, but so there's this film where this other thing happens and it's just bad filmmaking right so it's like all these it, it, it somehow reminded me of that thing in michael j fox's um back to the future where he he, he finds himself you know back in the past mm-hmm. and he's he goes into a restaurant and he's like i'll take a tab tab you haven't even ordered anything like you know like what is that thing you have in your pocket it's a cell phone cell phone mm. you know like and it's like so what happens is the, all these things happen where like the actor playing freddie mercury will like be at the keyboard and he's like do, do, doom, 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 doom. And his girlfriend will go like, that's beautiful. I'm thinking about it for an upcoming song. And it's like, ah! Like, all this little scaffolding for, like, trying to recreate the history of, right, of right, Freddie. Right. Like, anybody who knows Queen knows that 
that tone, right? That, that, just, that little that riff. First of all, you don't have to have him explain no. it. And first of all, you don't even have to have him play it. Yeah. It's I not even so. an important part of the film. So so to me, what, what was it was like a two-hour and 15-minute film. And the last 20 minutes were basically them recreating the Live Aid set they did. And it was the best part of the film. Because okay. it was like, I felt like I was watching Queen in concert. Yeah. Meanwhile, both my granddaughters have seen it, one with me, one without. Both of them really liked it. And I almost started to get into debate with one of them this morning. You watched it. And it's like, there's no use doing it because she doesn't have enough context to do it. But I think if you don't know Queen at all, right. it's a really interesting story. Right. But if you do, there's a problem. Well, so that, okay, so that's a problem with like with bio, uh, biopics mm-hmm. as well as any kind of, well, really any period piece sort of a thing. Like, okay, so I, did you ever see the movie Zodiac? Oh, I love Zodiac. I think it's a fun. I think it's a really fun movie. But you know what? The the fact that everybody had a push button phone on their desk like yeah. bugged me. No, not a one rotary. I get why oh, they yeah. did that because yeah. rotors are fucking boring to watch, and they wanted right. to show you calling somebody. Mm-hmm. But that was those were really rare. Even like all, all the way up until yeah. like the mid seventies and late seventies. Well, there's authenticity. So it was so that took me it took it a little bit out of the movie for me. That's the nature of that's the problem about doing a period piece or a bio biopic is that is that you got there's got to be fidelity or yeah, but also because it's a period piece that that you know has history attached to it and you're selling it to younger people. What ends up happening is the second thing I'm talking about. Like if if in the movie path, Zodiac, yeah. one of the journalists or police officers said Zodiac, where have I heard that before? And the other person said, Oh, it has to do with the like, astrological signs of you. You'd be like, oh, <laughs> shut up. And that happened in this movie way yeah, too okay. often. Right. You know how he performed with um, Freddie Mercury kind of famously performed with a microphone, but like a little like stick? Yeah, the like, a, like a half stand? I don't even know what that, yeah. I, can... well, what it was, I don't know if this is even, this might be a true story, but I didn't care. Like they show him performing in a club with Queen in the uh-huh. early days and he, he can't get the <laughs> microphone unstuck. So like, it clinks out and right. he's, he's left with half a microphone stand and it's like, oh, that's where it came from, and it's like ah, mm. just tell the story. Right, right, right. Yeah. More gay sex. Well, yeah. Wait. Well, no. Yeah. Quit. <laughs> Less origin story. <laughs> Fuck you. Stop it. <laughs> well, that, because that's the other thing too, and maybe maybe that's something we could talk about. Let's let's roll back to Stan Lee really quickly. Yeah, go ahead. Which is this whole thing about doing Marvel, the, the Marvel superhero, like the whole that whole MCU thing, and and the DC universe. We were Those MCU. Comic, I'm sorry, MCU. Uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe. Oh well, please enlighten us. Sir. <laughs> That's its title. <laughs> Anyways, these uh, these movies have inform. Maybe it's interesting that the, they're informing other movies because because every first movie about a superhero character is has been mostly their are their origin story. It's gotten to the point where it's cliche. Yeah. The first movie is just going to be the origin story, and so maybe that need for that origin thing that's like informing other movies. There's like a serious this. sort of like problem that, with a, where the, a where origin the story for Freddie Mercury because. <laughs> There's not going to be a sequel. Uh, there is true because of the AIDS. Well, that's what you think. Maybe, <laughs> maybe that's the next horrific step we, we're taking culturally. Fair enough. Fred, Freddie Mercury to Electric Boogaloo. You know who did not um, was not too gay. Uh, it's, called tra- it's called the seamless transition. Yeah, please, Mr. Neil deGrasse Tyson. Oh well, I guess he's less gay than we, less potentially gay than we ever thought too. So, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Here's the, the thing. Neil Meister. Here's the, the thing, fuck? ladies and gentlemen. Here's the thing, ladies and gentlemen. Fuck, man. This who's next? Knows. Like, it's just, there's a, there's just this point. That, Michikaku. That it, what's that? Michikaku's next. Uh, oh, I'm thinking Santa Claus. Oh, okay. Go ahead. He's sexually harassing the shit out of those lady elves or something like that. Mm. I don't know. It's just like, it's, it's, it, it's, it, it, it's reached a point and that I'm finding it a little bit worrisome. 
here. <laughs> the whole sex. Oh, let's back and it up. We're out. Neil. <laughs> Neil DeGrasse, yeah. Neil deGrasse Tyson uh, has been uh, been called. Uh, has been there have been charges that he has been sexually inappropriate. Whoa, whoa, whoa! There's one charge of rape. It's not a. It's not a charge because because it's. Okay. No, no, there are three women, and I was reading through rape. it too, and so two of them I was like, ah, like. He told like he told an off color and I'm like oh boy here we go again but here's the problem then I I'm halfway down the article and it's like one suggested that he pulled a complete Cosby and did a drug and rape when he was in college with this woman at, I think Cornell really it changes it a little bit yeah fuck it does <laughs> man it does yeah because because <laughs> uh, rape uh, uh, Jesus God. yeah go ahead all right I don't know. maybe this is going nowhere I don't know it's just like there's a point when I first heard that my 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 thought was like like are we are we Help me out here. Maybe are we approaching a point with the um, the 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 Me Too movement where like somebody could legitimately just delegitimize somebody else by making an accusation? I think I follow that you. Turn, but break can that, that down. move? Can that move? Is it getting weaponized? Oh, well, can it be yeah. used? Like, are we at the point where it's where it can be legitimately used uh, falsely to ruin yeah. somebody? Well, I think so, and and uh, I want to be careful, not out of like any defensiveness or because I'm afraid, but I just want to be careful with my words to make yeah, the of point. Course, of course, no, no, no. I mean, because I want to make the point correctly, yeah. how I want to make it here, and it's like any any sort of um, movement that involves accusation as part of the movement. Me too's not the only one. No, right. Um, has immediately within it that power. That power doesn't by itself. Um, doesn't necessarily by itself delegitimize the movement at all. No. But of course it does because there is suddenly a shift in the power. If mm-hmm. you can take somebody down with anything, let's take it out of like gender here or or sex or any of that or right. sexual assault really. Um if if we now recognize that there's something that you can call someone out on that is um like a social more has shifted. I mean, right. rape is n- it's never been acceptable, but like even how we identify what rape is or what sexual assault is sort of changes over time and the relationships in the workplace and all that sort of stuff. If the context changes enough to where somebody feels that they are legitimately a victim of something. Mm-hmm. And you know, I was I was I was um sorry, I'm going to take a little detour and I'll come right back. Um I was having a conversation about um Jordan Peterson. Recently, and Jordan Peterson, someone I was kind of interested in this year, and he's a guy I think is a really interesting thinker. Um, I agree with some of the stuff he says. I disagree with other things. But I'm really interested in his methodology. Okay, right. But somebody I know was talking about Jordan Peterson, and there was this thing on in the New York Times, and it was like Jordan Peterson says that um, masculinity has been destroyed, and and this person was going like, well. That's a stupid thing to say, and I thought, thought like, yeah, that is a very stupid thing to say. But I know exactly what, what he said mean? in this right. in this case, and that wasn't it. It wasn't like a, a ma- it was very nuanced and complicated, and something I think this person would actually agree with. Mm-hmm. But you know, we we get sort of like snippets. So what I did is, I thought, you know what, I'm because I'm interested in Jordan Peterson. I'll sit down and listen to a two hour podcast where it's like, oh, I get all the context of what he's saying. Right, That's right, like, right. and and I want other people to do it. And I thought, wait, who do I do that with? So I went immediately to um, a, a talk by Gloria Steinem in 2016 at UCLA, an hour and a half thing where she's being interviewed and she's talking. I thought, let me do what I want other people to do. Right. Because I, I like Gloria Steinem generally, but she's yeah. someone I'm apt to go like, oh, here are the five things about her that she says. Right. I think she's I know. She's a great broad. I love her. <laughs> Makes a hell of a tuna sandwich. <laughs> so, but, 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 so I went down and I go, let me, let me listen to this, this thing and, and write down interesting points. <laughs> 
that I think she's making mm -hmm. and really resist like trying to counter the argument in my mind. Yeah, but, and I, I thought right. there were some interesting things. And one of the things she said was this, a movement like um, happens when um, the invisible become visible, right? So it's like the second follower. The first person says, does something or says this happens. And it's like, it's not a movement until the second person goes, yeah, right. literally me too. Sure. That's what's an issue with it. So me too is a, 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 a a, a version of that, right? Right. So, like, if that's how it happens, legitimately, let's say for what we'd all call, like, justice, mm -hmm. right? In any sort of case, why wouldn't it, along the way, given that there are so many shitty human beings on the planet, also include, like, the fifth or the sixth person who goes, oh, this is useful. Right. This is a tool I can use to further an agenda I've got. Sure. I mean, sure. it just wouldn't make sense. Right. It's, it's, which is much different from saying the Me Too movement is some movement to sort of like... Um, oh, no, no, no. It's no. just a... No, no, I'm not I saying you're... I hope I'm not coming across no, no, no. I get it. I'm not saying that, but I, right. you know... And nor do I want to be like, hey, I'm all for the Me Too. It's not even about padding my statement. It's mm -hmm. just about like there are two sort of lanes at least that happen when these right. movements happen. And so like, Manel, my, my question to you is, mm -hmm. so if we agree on that, like my question to you is, do you feel because you like Neil deGrasse Tyson or you find him to be kind of a nerd or like he's really intelligent or something like that, that, mm -hmm. that sways you to think like, oh, I wonder if it's that second weaponized version. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure yeah. that. I, I, I'm absolutely sure that that's where I'm coming from. So is it so is it like... There's a part of me that's like, he's like a teddy bear of, of right. like knowledge and science. Yeah. How could that be? So yeah, absolutely. And that's well, a, which is why I'm not drawing any real conclusion on it, but... Yeah. It, but but it made me think that thought for well, sure. Well, it's like that insult movement, right? Like it's the the guys who like um, oh, shoot man, up, and it's like because they they they'll do the man. The Santa oh, Barbara we're guy. We're going to talk about that at some point. Well, the dude. Santa Barbara the guy is crazy. Well, he, because like it, no one, I'm not getting laid. It used <laughs> yeah. to be if you didn't get laid, you became Howard Stern. That was your revenge. You became Howard Stern. Like here's my revenge, ladies. I have an empire of radio right. Meh, right. to you, and I'm going to be sexist the or whatever. And they think wow, this is all because <laughs> back to that immaturity thing. We well, in about. a way, but but it's sort sort of like, and I'm not saying I'm saying. <laughs> Here's what makes it possible in my mind for Neil deGrasse Tyson, with no evidence, by the way, we're just talking about like the court of immediate public opinion, right. is that like it's the 1980s and it's like he, he's a brilliant guy and he, maybe he's a brilliant guy who's getting like no attention yeah. and somehow there's this margin of acceptability. I mean, things like Spanish Fly were in magazines I read in the yeah. 80s. Slip this in the girl's drink, she'll get randy. And I just yeah. want to clarify that I never used it. Uh -huh. Probably because I'm just a cheap He, he didn't inhale, bitch. folks. He yeah, totally, right? yeah no. well, that's, that's it. I certainly couldn't have afforded it. <laughs> and explain to your mother why this package is coming to the house from, from the Hustler <laughs> magazine or whatever. But but the point is like, yeah, I mean, in all seriousness, it's like, um, that's there are all these sort of ways to think about it, and also like no real way to talk about it is the other thing. Because mm, yeah. you and I can talk about it here, even right. though we're broadcasting it out to people, we're still in a room where we feel a certain like there's a context for us. There are blankies on the wall. <laughs> that's, that's how comfortable this room is. But there's a context. There's a context for you and I making room for context yeah, yeah, that doesn't yeah. always happen. And I'm not even blaming the other people. Right. That just happens when you get more people in a conversation. Right. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, I love Neil deGrasse Tyson. Uh, and I love how he explains things. And I love that he's, he's in his, Sassy, he's like 60 years old bear, and he's trying to be, he's kind of tries to be cool. He wears shades once in a while. He's like right. his own version of cool, you know? Yeah. He's the kind of guy. He's like he's like the he's the cool. He's the, the teacher trying to be cool who manages to be cool just by his enthusiasm. 
Yes. Just barely cool because he, of that. He would go to an event that he wasn't sure he was quite cool enough for and mm-hmm. pull out one of those T-shirts that has like a, a wolf on it, like the Indian wolf, and be like, yeah, <laughs> that's the right shirt. Right this there. is on the side of my van too, kids. <laughs> Let me tell you. So, sure. <laughs> so Neil deGrasse Tyson. Oh, just, uh, yeah. Oh, God, that's... Fuck. Okay, we gotta get to the bottom of that. Well, because the problem is that it won't be a conversation. It's not not that I think, oh, he must be What's innocent, what? but it's like he what happens? He'll just be gone. Yeah. Okay. So that yeah, I guess yeah, he doesn't get shot. He doesn't get killed. He's got all his money in the bank, and I guess that's true for most of the people who are getting caught up in this. But but let's okay, let's roll it over to the other side and talk yeah. about you, Colin Kaepernick. Say it's really the same thing going on there in a sense. He did rape a lot of women. Go ahead, no, go Tom. No, no. <laughs> but what, what, but what we're talking about is we're talking but we're talking about the ending of a career for somebody who is doing that's an outside pressure situation, an that's agenda, and a broad. Can you bring him closer? I, I still don't see. I mean, so you know the whole thing where he where he knelt during the national anthem. Right, I get okay, that. So, I mean, so like that has made him incredibly unpopular. Popular pressure rose up and forced the basically the 49ers to get rid of him. He's okay. not a, he's not employable as a quarterback anymore. Right. He's still in his prime earning time period. So, I mean, so there's that so that there's that backlash on him in his professional world, like his professional life based based on a political agenda in this case. Yeah, but that that's that, that's the point. It's what it's based on. It's what makes the stories. Uh, it's a different. And I'm not, I'm not trying They're to be argumentative. To be sure, I'm just, but I'm just saying, like, is that the appropriate punishment? I think is what I'm talking about. Well, the difference, I would say. <sighs> yeah. Okay. I get it. It's sort of and, like and, and, and let's let's step away from Neil deGrasse Tyson with yeah. the rape charge on him, and let's right, go right. say Louis C.K. Ooh, let's go or, there. Or um or uh, there and or um. Donald, um, the, uh, fucking Trump. Every, no, I forget the guy's name. He owned the um, he owned the L.A. Um, Clippers? Clippers. Oh, is this Serling? G- Donald Serling. Okay. So it's like you know he makes those comments to his twenty um, six year old. I'm holding up air quotes here. Girlfriend. Right. He's such a girlfriend that she's recording him. Right. Mm. Um, and she, you know, he's saying to her on the phone like, "Please don't bring the blacks to game. I don't like that." Right. And right. He, you know, he's saying things that that are uh, illustrate that he's kind of a piece of shit. Right. Yeah, yeah. But he's also making a phone call. Right to this girl, and it's it, it, it's out there. So whether it should be out there or not is one thing, but it is out there. And so should he lose his team because he has opinions that are a piece of shit? No, but also I've heard the argument that's like, yeah, but but the team's going to lose revenue. He's fucked up the brand, and right. so it's like I hate that argument, but I can't ignore it. Right. And no, so, well, none of us can because it's what we're all about. Well, we can't have the Finleys on film. <laughs> That's right. We, we nobody have, listens. We have nearly no brand whatsoever and nobody backing us, though. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Wow. Okay. Fuck, man. All right. Wow. This is, this is cool. <coughs> um, and then in minor news, uh, George H.W. Bush died. Yeah. So, I'm trying to think like, where we're going. <laughs> moving on. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's like, no, I, I never thought I'd say he's totally my favorite Bush. <laughs> wait, wait, that sounded wrong. Yeah, I think it was still accurate. <laughs> mm, no, come on. Like, You're at least crazy. But, but, like, but think about that. Like, the, what, now, what kind of a, let's talk about like, so where we are now with Trump. Yeah. Is there any part that he's, I think that we can hold him responsible for politically to get us here. Oh, you and mean I can think HW one, leads to Trump? Yeah. Do we, can we get from point A to point B? And I think we can. I think because if nothing yep. else, he legitimized the he legitimized the candidacy of his son. Yeah. And his son is definitely like the amuse bouche before the uh, before the um, before the the banquet here. Yeah, it's weird that he is. I, I agree with you that that I, I believe he was probably horrified by this. 
Well, that's a thing. That connection. It's so means. interesting that that HW and then to a greater degree W makes sort of room for Trump, mm-hmm. and yet at the same time, yeah, they are so different because they resemble like that aspect of politicians where at least you had to pretend that you had civil like civility well, and and you know. Actually, I would say that I think George H W Bush I think is the last civil presidency I can remember. George H W. Civ- you have to say that now because George right. Bush also is a damn. Right, right, but, but, but civility in terms. Yeah, well, that's the, interesting. The, the Congress hadn't gone completely batshit yeah. on whatever the opposing, you know, like for the, the other side of the congressional aisle wasn't com- going completely batshit on the president. Yeah. That really have That started taking off in Clinton. I read a story uh, that, that relates to this and for the reason why that happened. And it's one of those things where, like, what's, ever since Malcolm Gladwell, it's it, we've been really fond of, like, we can trace it back to this moment. And it's like, we can't trace it back to one moment. That's bullshit. No, that, but, nothing at all. But, but keeping you, with how much bullshit that can, is. You can watch the line in the water. Here's the shark of, fin is flying. Here's the moment they were trying to trace it back to, and I thought it was kind of interesting, <laughs> was that it, it was happening, um, that, that shift started to happen in Reagan's second term, and it was when C-SPAN came around. And C-SPAN, mm. um, <clears throat> you know, it's the channel no one watches. It's like channel 99 on everyone's box. And it's basically a camera pointed at Congress, right? Yeah. And so, and so um, <clears throat> Tib O'Neill was the Speaker of the House. Uh-huh. And Tib O'Neill, um, C-SPAN originally had the camera just pointed at the podium. And whoever got up there and was talking and sort of, you know, all that sort of stuff, or, or whoever was like pre- president, right. you know, taking votes and stuff. <clears throat> and and so Tip O'Neill, there was a guy up there who was a, opposing a um, a bill and making a speech about mm-hmm. it. And it was totally empty. The room had like one other representative in it. And Tip O'Neill, who's Speaker of the House, commanded C-SPAN to pan the camera back and show this empty auditorium, <laughs> which no one really understood. People, Anyone who did watch it was like, I guess he's speaking to his, his peers. Mm-hmm. And no one understood that people were just getting up there and making like Jimmy Stewart type speeches to nobody. And they were using this camera. Tip and it was like, fuck you. Let's show him that he's talking to nobody, right? Uh-huh. So Newt, it, this is what pissed Newt Gingrich off. And this is how Newt Gingrich started to fire back by getting Newt Gingrich is the first guy who got in bed with like... Um, uh, Rush Limbaugh, like, yeah, all, he, and, and so he would put but, calls out to these people right. to sort of push his agenda, and so, you know, it's it's not like you know a partisanship happened in 1989 or right, something, right, but right. that level of using mass media toward toward, and so I wonder if and it's that of, and, and really upping the vitriol without without any repercussions. So so then you get Clinton, you know, think about this <laughs> and bringing it back. Newt New Ginrich was the speaker for the House during the Clinton administration. So yes. yes, right. And and so if you think about like you know Clinton in like 1997. Um, it, you know, with Monica Lewinsky and right. that sort of like, yeah, I mean, who cares? They got a blowjob, all that sort of stuff. But, you know, it is sort of, he was a dickhead for, for lying and spending the country's money. And, mm-hmm. it, and he, the, the lack of civility was going back and forth in front of our eyes, right? Yeah. Think about like 30 years earlier, 35 years earlier, John F. Kennedy had a young intern, Mimi Beardsley. Have you heard uh, of this woman? Yeah. Mimi Beardsley. Yeah, yeah. He would have Mimi Beardsley. Not Bring me chowder. Him, but blow his uh, people in his cabinet. Yeah. You're like, go blow, you know. That's the kind of giving we need. In <laughs> no, but my point is, I mean, I think Trump would offer blowjobs to his cabinet at all. That's obviously, you know, that's wrong. That's terrible. Wink, wink. But, but the point is, like, there's no fucking C-SPAN and, like, weaponizing all that sort of stuff. So I don't know how, how much more civil... You know, we were or were not. You know, right. I don't think he's a dividing line. He's a we, dividing line between using technology 
to show how uncivil we already are. Fair enough. Fair enough. Maybe maybe that is really the root of evil here. Okay. Well, fair. That's, that's fair. All right. All right. Shit. I, I got nothing else to you. I'll tell you what. Here's well, yeah, why don't we let's move on. Why don't we talk, let's about, talk about our mute magic challenge? I want to talk about. Okay, that. go ahead. Man. I just think it's funny. So okay, everybody. Here's that. a little, a little like a little, a little like sort of peep peep view into Joe into into our friendship and Joe really is what is what. It, but also about the Finleys, of course. Now Joe is a man of um, peculiar passion. Hmm. He gets uh, he gets a hobby horse and he rides the fuck out of it for a period of time. <laughs> Write that down, hobby horses. And, and, I want to do that next. Oh uh, yeah, uh, and and he's never happier than when he can get other people involved with it. So mm-hmm. recently, he's come up with the uh, the magic challenge here. So what we're doing is um, over oh, the no, course. No, wait, wait, wait! I want to say where it started. Because what happened was... Oh, yeah, no, 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 yeah. We'll get to that, too. Okay, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, go no, ahead. trust me. I'm not letting that go. Please, go ahead. It was awesome. So uh, we... Well, okay, we'll put it this way. We settled on the magic, cha- magic challenge. Yeah. Uh, Joe's initial idea was for us, uh, for, for the three amigos, there's Joe, myself, and our other friend, Doug Cox, who was on the... Uh, who was in the uh, he was in the last podcast yeah, about Montgomery podcast, Cliff. Montgomery yeah. Cliff, yeah. yeah. Uh, that we should learn to break dance. <laughs> Because well, I just want to pause here and, and, and offer this. I, I know it just sounds weird, but here's the thing. If I mean, th- Tom's a, a portly gentleman. But that's one way of putting it. We're yeah. all in our 40s. Yeah. None of us are, you know, um, we're not like the, like Ryan Gosling 40, where it's mm. like, yeah, but he's right. You know, like, it's like we're <laughs> terrible. Looking at us causes diabetes. Right. And, so. And, and so I thought, fucking how amazing would it be for us to announce, the three of us, like, yeah, we've become really good breakdancers because the immediate reaction would be like, oh, my God, I got to see this. But then to actually be amazing, amazing break, at breakdancing right, right. would just blow people's minds. <laughs> Which, but but I think the fact that the athleticism necessary to do that at all, just to begin well, with, we would just spin you, Tom. We would just spin you on. Imagine on my tummy. Uh, would be like almost dangerously prohibitive to some to uh, well probably to me for sure. Needless to say, it was Doug, vetoed. Doug was under the impression as well. So uh, yeah, we did veto this, but we did uh, in in um, in the spirit of placating Joe, uh, we, we did settle on learning a magic trick a month uh, for the next twelve months. So at mm-hmm. the end of the year, we're going to have twelve magic tricks in our in our in our pocket. Little. Well, fifteen total because the the idea is that we each do one individually. That we the, each month right. the three of us learn one. So it, please, I feel like you're already behind. Oh well, Jesus, it's so hard. Uh, it's very hard. <laughs> magic tricks are tough. Yeah, they are very tough, actually. <laughs> we that's don't know the, what well, we're that's doing. yeah. These are this is I guess this is probably insulting as shit to actual magicians who do this. I guess. But uh, but but the the funny thing is is that uh, Joe managed to bring in uh, me who's I, I'm fine with this, but I do have small dumpy hands. Yeah. And uh, but Doug has severe OCD. Is totally is is rather rather a, a sharp uh, dose of OCD. And oh, what's, yeah. what's become very clear is that OCD people are going to be either really great magicians yep. or probably never get anywhere. Suicidal. It's win win for us. I'd say. <laughs> like like we like OCD would kick in and make them like super good and exact. But what's happening yep. is Doug is complaining because he doesn't like change. Which is a hilarious thing for. <laughs> wait, you said that. You like as much as said that. I don't feel comfortable with change. Wait, like in his text. I, I don't. I am not trying to. This is not a pun here. 
Because it could go either way with Doug. Do you mean coinage or do you mean like movement? Movement. Like, oh, okay. change, like things changing. Yeah. He's not comfortable with things. I think physical objects changing. That like oh. is super <laughs> prohibitive to the concept of magic. So even though he would know why a dove disappeared, it would upset him that. That the, Doug had, that the dove had disappeared. And maybe, maybe if we can get like two doves to disappear, he'd be better. Like it'd be symmetrical. It, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Doug, Doug is a total. Oh my god, yeah, awful just, person. Just, yeah, just, I, I, I just think it's a hilarious little comment, and uh, yeah, just <laughs> of all the people to choose, yeah, to get Rain Man in on a magic trick. Uh, oh, the coin disappeared. The coin disappeared. There's that thing you know for Fast Times at Ridgemont High when um, <laughs> Damone tells Rat. Uh, yeah, you gotta put the vibe out there. That's how girls respond. And Rat goes, "Yeah, yeah, Damone, you put the vibe out to thirty million girls. Some are gonna respond." <laughs> that's right. You know, like I feel that's that's how I approach every New Year's resolution too. Like I have a, a uh, list on my wall in my mm-hmm. office of I think like twenty seven resolutions I made for this year. So if I accomplish six of them, that's amazing. Feeling good, huh? Yeah, absolutely. I like it. All, All right, right boss. So you want to want to talk about let's what we're go. supposed to talk about here? Yeah, let's do it. Let's All talk right. about Lord Sir Peter Sellers. Peter Sellers. Man, that hey. guy, that motherfucker. Yep, that cocksucker. You guys, <laughs> you, you guys. Peter Sellers is been... like is like the other Alec Guinness, isn't he? I think he's more than that in oh. no sense. I think Alec Guinness is yeah. a tremendous actor. I think more than just being an actor, mm-hmm. uh, the maybe one of the most gifted comedic actors. Wait, wait, Alec Guinness or Peter Sellers? Peter Sellers of all time. Yeah, it's almost and, like and Guinness could do comedy. Yeah, but Peter Sellers is, was just funny. Well, because Peter Sellers was kind of like um, uh, he, he. They didn't work in a group. They weren't like the, the Stooges or anything. But like he was attached to Alec Guinness in a way. He was a little bit in Alec Guinness's shadows because they did the same thing. Right. Right. But yeah. And they, they even a- they appeared in a couple movies together. But Alec Guinness decided that he could also be this amazing actor. Right. Right. In the traditional mm-hmm. sense, and Peter Sellers continued to do that thing, yeah. which I'm not sure what to call it. What is it that Peter Sellers does? He inha- talk about inhabiting. Like we were talking about, like it's not an impersonation. And he famously like will do movies where he plays like it's seven. You know, Eddie Murphy got that off of him. I'm sure. Oh, like, it's of course. Seven I mean, different the, people. Yeah, he was, I think, the person to really sort of originate this thing. And it really it comes from like his earliest possible career. Like when he first started mm-hmm. off, he started off. Um, doing uh, radio stuff and he really was part of what was what was considered the most sort of uh like change inducing radio program of its time of the 50s which was called the goon show in the England. goons i thought that's the stages that meant the goons yeah i know he was part of, like that was that was huge informative and, and in the goons he was able to use what had what he had developed over over the course of his life which is his ability to mimic other people and do other voices and things like that mm-hmm. so during the goons he really sort of developed this thing but he also what i think the real secret to peter sellers and what i think he did better than anybody else was that uh, he developed uh, an ethic and a way to go about bringing these comedic characters to life yeah and the, like like so for instance like he would he would he would what he would do is he'd find the dignified center of a comedic person of, of a personality and then maintain that like rigidly whilst doing the show so so in other words like Clouseau had no fucking idea he was an ass he was an idiot right so he would always maintain the fact like he would he would hove to the fact that like Clouseau was not aware of the fact that he was stupid. He thought he was brilliant, and right. so he maintained that dignity for Clouseau. Like he, he will find that little center and yeah. keep that, like an honest moment, like that that allows you to sort of uh, connect with the character mm-hmm. over and above just the fact that they <laughs> they fell into a moat or some shit. 
Right. So it's like, it's like you know what classically in in early film it's like comedy. It's like you you throw the pie in the face of the Dowager, right? Yeah, and, right. But mm-hmm. he takes that a step further because the 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 initial sort of joke is that the Dowager is humiliated. You, you choose the person. It's the ultimate. I mean, before we had the phrase punching up, mm-hmm. a pie in the Dowager's face was punching up, right? right? Of course, right. Um, and but he takes it a, a step further than that because the Dowager or whoever he's playing doesn't have to lose dignity, right? The, the Dowager loves that particular flavor of pie or something like that, you know? Yeah, oh, right. So it's complicated. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of like it's it's two laughs because the first laugh is the thing that happened and the second laugh is the reaction, right? The unexpected reaction of the person. And now, this is not anything new. He didn't invent this. Laurel and Hardy is the epitome of this. I would say Voltaire's like Candide. Sure, absolutely. In a way, yeah. But 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 I want to point out Laurel and Hardy, mm, as great as I reference. think Laurel and Hardy was, mm-hmm. fabulous. Huh? Mm-hmm. Um, as great as they were, they took two people to do the same thing he was able to do as one person. All right, because because that's what they're also doing is not not to to um, the, the stupid limit. guy looking down on the the, the stupider guy. Well, it's unaware a that he's the stupid guy. Oh, okay, okay. So it's more than just the straight man, a funny man foil. The, 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 they go hand in hand a lot. Sure, right. Because oh yeah, I mean I, I don't want to go too far afield here, but like um, Abbott. Mm-hmm. And Costello, right? Mm-hmm. Costello is simply the buffoon, and Abbott is the straight man. He, rarely do you see Abbott act foolishly. Oh yeah, absolutely, right, right. right. But so so in a Laurel, so it's, I, look, I like the Lauren Hardy thing. Okay, you have like the idiot, right? He looks down on the other idiot who's who is stupider. Yeah. But all the laughs come from the other idiot, the stupider guy, getting a, getting something over or or harming the other guy who thinks he's smart but isn't smart. And so it's just yeah. so that's I would, I would actually point to this. Studio. That's another good example. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And in this case, the, uh, the the portly gentleman is the straight man. So, uh, like, literally, <laughs> hello, hello. No, uh, but but but, and Peter Sellers was able to do that, yep. but just as one person. That's a yeah. remarkable feat. No, no, and he didn't even he would do it for each of the characters. So he, in a movie, right. he'd be seven characters, but they would all be like true to a true to a kernel of themselves. Yeah. That like so for instance, uh, what's the first one we're going to start with here? The, uh, the mouse that roared, nineteen fifty nine. Yeah, perfect is like a perfect example of this. He plays, uh, plays what two, three characters? Yeah, utterly like I'll take the uh, the the Duchess, right? She's yeah. unaware. Like I <laughs> the love Duchess just is because hilarious. she's funny, she's yeah. dignified. She's I mean, just visually funny but first of all. Yeah, she's visually hilarious because yeah. of his weird chin and facial structure in a female. Yeah. Okay, but she doesn't know that, so she doesn't know that she's playing it. He's playing that character totally straight yeah absolutely straight but the circumstances around it are funny and so it's it's just the guy was yeah had the deftest touch also what's interesting about him is is um i would also say there's something that that um we might call it kaufman-esque about him Mm -hmm. occasionally and it's that um occasionally what's very funny about him Mm -hmm. is is that he'll also be completely straight for like a minute in the Mm -hmm. middle of it and you're so sort of worked up and tense about what he's going to do with it that when he just sort of like is a nice guy saying a thing to someone else, mm-hmm. it's kind of funny. Yeah. It's indescribably funny. Yeah. Yeah. He just used every every tool in his arsenal he <laughs> used to make to just, he was, yeah, he's like, I think, I would think if, if I were looking at, at somebody like, he's got like a quality, like Will Ferrell has a quality. Yeah. Yeah, Will Ferrell does the same thing. Like he'll be a comedian, he'll, he'll be doing a funny role, yeah. but he'd be playing it straight as fuck. Right, and and right. there's just something funny about him that yeah. comes across as well. So that you get that, that kind of one-two punch going on there. All right, so the mouse that roared. I mean, uh, I would say this also. I don't know how you oh, feel about him in general, but go ahead, please. Oh no, I did, and then I had another thought. I think he also is a, is a perfect example of his time and place. Like he was mm. so so. Like I think 
so he got to work with like we're going to be tra- covering a Neil Simon movie later yeah. on. Yeah. He got to work with Blake Edwards. Like he got to work with with comedic directors who really played to who really sort of played to his strengths in a lot of ways. Not you know, like the jokes were the jokes were clean, but yeah. they were very clear and mostly goofy rather than it wasn't. Well, these are nobody, also nobody got hurt in the, in the course of the job. Writers and directors who who um, also had that same sort of di- you know dynamic, like they could play, they could do very very. Go- Blake Edwards could do Pink Panther and Sob, mm-hmm. but he could also do Experiment in Terror, right, right? And Neil Simon could do like The Odd Couple. Mm-hmm. But he could also do like Chapter Two with Marsha Mason, like the, those seventies like exploration romance yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. things. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, so what I was going to say mm-hmm. about P- Mr. Peter Sellers was that oh, that um, part of it is also like he's pretty good at choosing things, and, and I don't mean that every movie is a good one, but he has a definite strategy, and that it, that his ha- he fits in films mm-hmm. that are high concept films. They're all like like highly conceptualized right. films and yes. ridiculous conceptions, yeah. conceits, right? So right. it's like, so so let's start with the, with, with <laughs> the Mouse of Road, nineteen fifty nine. Case in point here, right? All right, so you have this group of people from what's the country's name again? Uh, it's an, it's an obscure sort of like um, the Duchy of Grand Fenwick. Grand Fenwick, yes. Okay. Grand, no, the Duchy of Grand Fenwick. The Duchy of Grand. It's Fenwick. basically a country a little bit bigger than this garage. Right, and um, it's a yeah that has no sort of no resources to speak of mm-hmm. and a failing economy. Right, right, and they over they, oh, they happen to be uh, like a lost tribe of British subject people who managed to colonize this thing in the <laughs> middle of Europe. It's a lot it, that's small, but no, it's important. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so so um, they have no resources. That's the important. The thing. important part is they have no resources, and they're yeah. trying to figure out like how do we how do we maintain ourselves? How right. are we going to do this? And so they come up with this plan. Go ahead. Well, the, uh, the the prime minister, played by Peter Sellers, comes up with a brilliant plan, yeah. uh, which is uh, the, the, if you want to get your country rebuilt, the first thing you should do is get the Americans to bomb it, and then they will come in and, re- and be- rebuild your country from right. scratch. Right. Okay. So now consider this film in, wow. in as a film, as a product what a in fucking, place. What a fucking great, what a weird and great commentary it is. Absolutely. On because it's sort of like, if you look at World War, World War II ends like 14 years before this film, right? Yeah. But, 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 you know, World War Two and the end of World War II and like the Marshall Plan and, and the way that it's sort of like the way that we dealt with the conquered, which yeah. is to say, I mean, you could say absolutely that we colonized in a different way, a different way oh, of colonizing, we, we right? We colonized, particularly Japan. Jesus okay, right. Yeah. So, so there's that, and, and part of the price is we we help rebuild your society, right? Right. right. Um, but also, like this film comes out in 1959, it's just short of like the Berlin Wall. Going up, yeah. right? So it's it's happening as like a, this this piece of like comedic commentary in there, mm-hmm. and it's like, yeah, all you have to do is lose to the Americans, and yeah, they will build your economy. Come up on in and give you some on where it was before. So, yeah, absolutely. So, so what do we do? And who knows? We we're still doing it too. Yeah. We're just doing it horribly. We're not actually yeah. rebuilding the economy in a way that's working. Yeah. That's not the point. Even we're, not doing, we're not even doing a, we're not even doing that with ours. So. Right. So, um, so, so the idea is let's invade America, right? So they want to declare war on America, and the only way to get anyone's Americans' attention because they're so small yeah. is to send their archers over army to, of archers. Yes, because the they don't United have proper States. like artillery, right? Just to take it to 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 bring the war to the enemy, which was us. So, right. ah. so 
so they hop on the the Nina, the the Pinta, the Santa Maria, and they head over to New York. The guy in charge of the army is also Peter Sellers, of course, and he plays basically an extraordinarily normal guy. Well, he's incompetent as as a military leader. That's yeah, made he's, clear. He's but he's zero zero military. Ability. But there's the paradox of Peter Sellers' work because he that's what makes him normal. Yes, is that he's incompetent within the context of this kingdom. Right, it's just terrible. Yeah. So they get over there to New York, mm-hmm. and they like just, he's probably a good farmer. Yeah, but he's not a good military person. Absolutely, because nobody is there. Okay. Oh, okay, so they get to New York, and New York is is abandoned. They can't figure out like you know why it is that they they're invading. They finally get there, and no one's there to invade to right. lose to. Mm-hmm. And the reason is. That there's been oh there's like they're doing a <laughs> test of a yeah there's they're doing like they're a testing a like a yeah they're going yeah well so it's like a civil defense drill right. basically right. for the whole city right? right so the whole city is like down in the subways as if that would actually work uh, but yeah because well it's sort of like hiding it's underneath a, your desk in the 1950s it's right? a conceit yeah yeah so so the whole city's empty they have to sort of go around figuring out why right and the reason why is it's like the civil defense drill for nu- nuclear war essentially right, right? Mm-hmm. so that's sort of just the only reason for that is so that they're surprised so they can wander around the city it gives us that opportunity, but also to remind us, you know, what the films tried to talk about to begin with, right, which right. is the absurdity of the way that countries handle each other, right? Yeah, diplomatically or as you or, know. or war and like how how silly war genu- genuinely really is if you think about it. Right. So the only people they can find is a, an old sort of um, professor. professor working uh, with his lovely. There's always a lovely daughter, delicious young, uh, delicious daughter. Sorry. Right. I'll leave the young out. And, and it's what he's working on is this like mechanical football. Bomb, which is the right. ultimate in hydrogen bombs. Yes, it's the it's the greatest bomb. It will literally blow half of Europe away. Which is interesting too, because which I means think, it'll be about like one fifth of the U.S. I guess. Right. So they he's describing this bomb. This is what I found kind of interesting. He's describing this bomb as this great thing for humanity, right. and that it could wipe out half of humanity. Right. And I couldn't help but wonder in 1959. <laughs> How many deaf ears that would have fallen on as a concept? <laughs> well, this is a very communist movie, I guess. I guess so. But I also want to point out, like the bomb itself is like it's like a bomb uh, <laughs> as depicted on the back of a box of cereal. Yeah, in a it's cartoon. terrible. Well, yeah, it's absolutely. hilarious. It looks like a football, but it's yeah, like a big silver football. All right, so so <laughs> and it ticks. What happens now is they decide so there's no one there to resist them. Yes, they decide to, to actually start winning this war in a weird way so by they, capturing the professor. And his, his daughter and the bomb and the bomb that could end, end civilization. And so they come back in a boat with these these two and the mm-hmm. bomb and the the, the leader's like, "You idiot! You, <laughs> you morons! You, we won!" It's Fuck. such a great concept for a movie. I mean, yeah. it's saying a lot of big things. You mm-hmm. get to see Peter Sellers sort of stretching out and his his you know oh, yeah. genius. Yeah, I don't know. I like this movie a lot. Yeah, it's a beautiful movie. It's a beautiful it's so movie. Fun. It's just fun. It's it's a it's it's a silly comedy from its uh, that's a perfect like time and place um, for for when it came out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So total plus. I give it a plus too. Yeah. Now, do you want to talk more about that movie? Um, not really. That's I, yeah, I think it's enough because that to me the movie had the least to say about. Right. Let's we moved to 1966. <laughs> yeah. To the aforementioned movie that was the screenplay was written by Neil Simon. Neil Simon. Yeah. 
uh, who at the time had a number of things in production, but this it. was his first uh, movie script. He oh, I didn't was, know that. This, was, this came out at the same time that Broadway, he was uh, he had The Odd Couple yep. and With Barefoot in the Connie. Park and a couple of other, like one Barefoot or two other the park. I forgot were all about going that. on at that same time. Ah, Neil and Simon. he decided to go into movies and this was his first venture. This was supposed to be a huge movie. He's one of my, I, I, I never list him as one of my favorite like screenwriters, but when it comes down he's to it, he's to, just fucking he's great, man. Amazing. Yeah, yeah he's got a... Uh, Goodbye, girl. The odd couple. What a what a resume this guy. What a what a resume. What a resume this guy. Resume, this guy. Hey, I don't, resume. Hey, I don't know. I've discovered this new Neil Simon yeah, kid. Sure. You're gonna want to check him out. <laughs> a little sauce on the resume. <laughs> Amazing. The sauce um, on the rib. So we're talking about 1966. Uh, After the Fox. After the Fox is a movie. When I was a kid, I uh, loved this movie. Yeah. And so what I suspected uh-huh. is that I would watch it again and go like, oh, yeah. no. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, wrong. Which is what I've done to like the movie Grease. That's my favorite example. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sometimes yeah. this movie just doesn't travel out of your shop, but you were no. wrong. This one traveled. In many ways. I mean, there. I can talk about some problems for sure. And I've never seen this movie, right. so I come, to, I come to it fresh. You like might a, as well say, like I'd, a lamb. I'd never seen it either because uh, <laughs> so many things I've forgotten or didn't understand at the time. No context and for even it. The, Why the, is that woman in her underwear? The closing line of the movie, which I found hysterical as a kid, I remembered as a slightly different and funnier line than the uh, one it actually closes with. <laughs> okay. So that's just the memory for you. But um, so this is. I can see how that particular ending would really appeal to a kid. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. All yeah. Right, cool. Well, without giving anything away, I had I had the ending as he grabs his face and says, Oh my God, it's me. <laughs> Which is a little funnier, I think. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Okay. That made no sense to our audience. But um, first of all, um, Peter Sellers is Italian in yeah. this one. Yeah. He's only playing one role. I mean, technically, we can talk about him playing different roles within, within the role. Within the character, right. But he's only playing. Well, because he's a master thief, he's, he has many disguises he uses. But first of all, I have to say he's Italian. So I think it's great. <laughs> I think it was Pete Dominic recently. He was on Conan, and he was like, uh, let me point out the racism that's still okay. And it's like Italians for sure. Mamma mia, what are you talking about? <laughs> Nobody blinks an eye, and I think uh, Pete Dominic's right about that. And he, ooh. boy, does he fucking play it up here. Oh, this goddamn uh, Peter Sellers as an Italian prisoner. Yeah. First of all, we, the, he started out in the movie. He's fine with being in prison because everything's fine. He can get because he can get anything he wants. And he actually he's sending things out of prison to his, <laughs> to family, his family, right? Right. And so he gets these visitors, and he's like, "Why would I want? I can escape anytime I want. I'm the, I'm the mm. world's greatest escape artist. On top of being a great thief." Right. Can I can I back up really quick? Please, I know I just I want to do this because yeah. the opening is hilarious. Okay, the, the, I have to give you the, the premise oh, of the yeah, movie please. before we get that, to him. Yeah. Right, which is that uh, somebody has uh, pulled off the greatest uh, gold heist in history. Now yep. they're trying to figure out who to fence this to. Right, really, who who can help them smuggle it into Europe so that they can fence it? So they basically they go through a number of. Other, there's like four like master criminals who could pull this off, mm-hmm. and like uh, one of them is uh, one of them is blind as a bat, oh, yeah. and he's in prison because he can't because uh, he's because he because he tried to hold up a, a police station instead of a bank, right? Because he can't see things, right? He yeah. can't see anything. one of them is uh, one of them has gotten so overweight he can't he's like heist a bank and then can't get through the door, can't to get, get through away. the exit door, yeah. Uh, yeah. And then like uh, the other one, so but. I'm not. There's no way to do these 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 tropes these 
No, no, no. Well, these gags. gags. These gags, yeah. justice, they're great physical comedy. But also, I they think... They were fucking hilarious. I think the movie, the movie is a complete movie and storyline. It mm. is, but there are sections of the movie which are clearly just an excuse for a gag. Yeah. Like oh. a well-written gag, and I don't care. They're, they're just, like, well, great. You, you saw me practically piss my pants at one of the most throwaway jokes of all time. Totally throwaway, but it's just <laughs> it's hilarious. And it's the writing and the... And the, the um, Peter Sellers doing it. Yeah, absolutely. This this movie has this quality of comedy of a really good comedy yeah. where you can see the joke coming yeah. and you still you laugh. don't care at don't all. Don't give a shit. Don't give like I know where this is going. I can't wait for it to get there. Yeah, no, so you're right. So I mean even even the way that they at the opening of the movie, the way they get the gold is ridiculous because it's <laughs> like you know in those nineteen thirties <laughs> movies where like Claudette Colbert or someone would like get a car to put its brakes on by by putting your gams, yeah. your lovely gams showing, out. showing a bit of lace. Instead of that, you have a woman in a burqa, and the armored car full of gold is driving around, and she just drops her burqa, and she's in like a gold, you know, Princess Leia bikini. Oh, and yeah. so they, they lose their minds and accidentally because they're up- yeah because they're guys and they're like looking out as as they pass her, and then they just drive into a van. <laughs> yeah, like the back of a van that's been waiting for them with a ramp. Right, right. right. I love the fact that they even pulled like this weird <laughs> like this tracky shot that just yeah. to make sure you knew they were in Egypt. They drove past the fucking pyramids. Oh yeah, of course. Why wouldn't you? Why You'd have to be driving past <laughs> if you're an armored car driver with gold you're gonna be driving past right, the sphinx right past the but yeah. yeah of course yeah so so then it pans you know to, to um sellers now sellers is unwilling to leave prison until his pals tell him that his younger attractive 16 year old sister has been sort of seen around town yeah she like guys. leaves the house and she is not always in school or at home so his mustache <laughs> so, unfurls at this idea so he, being being uh being a stage dago at this point yeah he goes he loses his fucking mind yeah and almost immediately breaks out and, and so he breaks out and i don't want to go over like the breakouts that he <laughs> no, does because let's leave things to, to the, the viewer but but um so he goes back and you know it's of course like all all the tropes the italian mother who's like you, you know you know italian and jewish mothers right like you're yeah, never yeah, right that you're qual- thin yeah, that, that's that's super that's that quality of over mothering that's yeah. also destructive yeah right, right what right. is it in in, uh, in marty the uh i tell you katrina it's better to be dead than to have a son who, who doesn't pay attention to you or something like that. So, so, so there's that. He's got his bumbling pals around him. He's kind of a genius, and he is a genius. He's a genius. He's not a bumbling genius. No. He really isn't. He's an absurd genius, and I want to make that distinction, right? Right, right, right. right so right. you talked about like um, uh, uh, Hardy. Mm-hmm. He he's the bumbling smart one, right? right. He, he turns out to be bumbling, even though he's smarter than like like Aldo. This character is genuinely smart, but right. like where his mind goes. To manifest his smartness right. and his intelligence is crazy. Because he's Italian. He can't help that. Yeah. <laughs> I, think that's, I think that's actually implied in that, in that in his genius. Yeah, like what... Maybe. Being an Italian, he's, he's emotional. And right. He, he, like his, his solutions are crazy. So, oh, my God. So he, he stumbles across basically... Uh, a movie star in wait, 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 no way we want to get it because because one of the things is also the way he can save his sister from the streets and his whole family he sees him sort of going to shit while he's in prison is is to get involved in, in this heist right okay. the, well, the heist is already he wants but, to get involved in, in uh, fencing, the, the smug, the fencing fencing and smuggling of it into into Europe right yeah okay. so it's like how do you do this and meanwhile you have these two sort of like oh, kind of Clouseau type um, inspectors following him all the time right right I mean there's a great scene later on where they're following a 
woman in a car, and then the woman takes um, a, a, a horse cart. and carriage, and so they're slowly following behind <laughs> her in their, their police car with a blue light flashing. That's so lovely. Okay, so that's another one of those jokes. I saw that the moment yeah, she was getting in a cart, and I, they were following her. I knew they were going to do that joke, and yeah. they did it, and they didn't overdo it. They could have like showed you yeah. following that, but they but they lit. They trust. I want to say the people they used to trust audiences yeah. more. But anyways, okay. Now you still back in the old days. They trusted audiences. <laughs> All right, no, but, but you're right. So so you know one of the things I like about this this character in this movie is it's not just the idea that's absurd. It's you watch him getting the ideas right. So yes. then so the idea he right. gets, of course, is is that you have Victor Mature playing a version of himself. Literally, like like so. This is that's actually one of the cool little side notes to this movie, which is Victor Mature retired. He got too old. He couldn't do Hollywood anymore, and he hated yeah. it. He just drove him nuts. And then somebody handed him the script. He's like, "Fuck, I'm doing this. This is yeah. hilarious." And he was kind of famously a pussy hound. Like, oh, yeah, like yeah, you know, yeah, kind of a right. Gene Simmons of his time. Well, and he also was like, he was like, like that that crazy chiseledish, handsome kind of guy for of his day. He was like one of the leading of... one of those. Like Robert Preston also had that quality. He didn't, it didn't, <laughs> it didn't hold with him the way it did with Victor Mature in mm. his later years. But, mm. but he was like, yeah, he was like, he was that kind of like dark, that dark, beautiful, chiseled sort of a guy, Gre- greasy hair, you know, and the, yeah. and the style of. Uh, of Dino, yeah, 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 absolutely, yeah. Did what Dino? Dean D. Martin's another example of one of those. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, 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 so he gets he gets the idea that he's going to um, uh, pretend to make a movie, right? And in because the pretense, everybody helps you make a movie, right? Like, you can get anyone involved, and you can get the police to sort of want to be in the movie, so they're not going to be mm-hmm. like t- tattling on you. And the, the premise of the movie will be about a ship full of gold, gold coming in, <laughs> and so he can get the whole this whole town to to this help him town, unload yeah. this little Italian, this little village. Modesto of the Italian coast, <laughs> get them to help unload the thing oh, and yeah, sort of feel like they're have, part of a movie. How the chief of police order people to do things for him in this? Yeah, and and so and he calls himself Federico. What is it? Fanucci. Federico. So it's obviously a takeoff of Federico Fellini. Well, apparently, this, well, I'm see. Here's the thing. I'm not. I'm not a really knowledgeable about the neorealistic movement. Right. So, but it was. This was intended. Apparently, there's some really sharp jabs at specific directors in this movie that I'm in no position. Well, to, Martin Balsam to plays Victor Mature's like agent or something, and mm-hmm. and so uh, Victor Mature says neoliberalism. What's that? And Martin Balsam says no money. No money. <laughs> exactly. Right. So. It, yeah, go ahead. No, no, just like a so so yeah, so like Fellini and and like that's he's he's doing a par uh, a parody of those guys. I mean, and that's that's a classic sort of like um, you know W. C. Fields and the Bank Dick. What's yeah. another one I was thinking of? I, I, it's it's much more obvious where like uh, the making of a movie becomes part of the movie, but in a way that's like. I mean, it's, it's, you feel you know what it really feels Blake Edwards as fuck to me. Well, because he did that kind of thing a lot. Yeah, like, but, but in like the bank deck, for instance, W.C. Fields, there's a whole section where he somehow becomes a director mm-hmm. for like a half the movie, and then just walks off and does something else. It never is clarified. This is at least more part of the film, <laughs> right? Right. But right. it is. It also is like kind of joyously superfluous. Yeah. Like I mean, it, there's a way that it connects in the film, but it's also just like another excuse to sort of watch people kind of make fools of themselves yeah. in, a, in a delightful way. Right, Victor right, Mature, right. what a great sense of humor he had about he himself. Totally, yeah, he totally Holy shit, did, did that he understand? Yeah, he got it. What was he going was in, on? That's, that's the thing. I mean, I, you just get behind almost anybody who's in on the joke. Yeah. And they were, he's, he was in on the joke, so yeah. God bless him on that one. Yeah, so it all becomes, you know, like, is he going to get away with this? What are the consequences? You know, who is he using? So that that's the sort of, like, but but of course, I think if this film were made today, like, who Aldo, Peter Sellers' character, is using... Um, 
in order to to his own ends, right, would be like talked about a heavy handedly or ham handedly oh, in a yeah, modern yeah, film, yeah. and so you'd have to have that sort of moment of redemption and like, you know, it's sort of like those movies where it's like. Um, at first, they they paid me to be your girlfriend, but then I found myself falling in love with you. You know, you the, the sort of reveal behind mm. like the good guy, the bad guy becoming good, or, right, right, or you right. know, the, mm. the the moral crease becoming ironed out, or something. Right, a metaphor. The, well, there's this thing also like this movie is conceptually pretty f- decently funny. Yeah, but the execution is like you can't. There are some set pieces and sight gags and just yeah. gags in this movie. Oh, yeah. That I can do no justice by describing the part, no. where, the part, the one where he meets the, the the guy who actually stole the gold. Yeah, and they start making. The, oh my making God. That's one of the greatest side gags ever. And it's an ongoing a gag, and it's just hilarious. A shockingly beautiful woman is sitting at a table. Oh no no no, no 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 no! Don't I, even give it away. It, but, 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 don't give it what away. What I'm saying is, I can't possibly do it justice. Is the problem? Well, don't don't even try. All right, ah, no. Mama Mia. But there's about eight of those ongoing things in this oh, film that yeah. are. Just beautifully, sort of. I fucking, I lost my shit on one of those. Channels. Oh yeah. <laughs> Why isn't this film more well known? Is my question. Um, I think it's, I think it's garnered a certain cult status, but at the time it was considered, but at the time it panned, it, it flopped. But I mean, my question is why? I mean, lots of films flopped, and that's we even say that. Like initially, it flopped, and people are shocked that it flopped. Why didn't it? You I, know, I mean, because Peter, why isn't it in like the movies that you mention? When you mention Peter Sellers. When you mention Peter Sellers. Probably because the ones you do mention are are better. I don't know. This is I really thought this held up. I, I, uh, I, was, I thought it was beautiful. I thought it was I'd never seen it. It was really fun. I, I would say this one thing about it. Um the last like quarter of the movie gets stretched out too much. And uh, I feel yeah. like you gotta they, they let have this a mad, go, they have a madcap chase. Yeah, it, it does right. get a little bit of that going yeah, on. Yeah, it's it's uh it's got a it's got a funny sight gag inherent to it, but it's just yeah. you know it's okay, another chase. Yeah. Across the Italian. Country. I still give it a I see it once at least. Oh fuck yeah, dude. It's go, a do great yourself movie. a favor. Like the jokes are the the jokes, like I said, I, I we can do no justice to yeah. them. I mean they're this well so, they need to, they need to be seen, to be believed, so go and believe. Yeah. Believe. Damn! With the boom. All right, cool. All right, so let's now, move on. Let's talk to about our last movie. Here. The least surprising uh, selection on our list of. Uh, well, I don't know because there are movies that I, I was thinking about this. The movies that will make our way into other episodes because they could easily fit into like Clouseau like, can go to what's his name Blake Edwards, Blake Edwards, or even right. just the whole episode we could do on Clouseau or yeah. or um, yeah. uh, Doctor Strange Love is like wow that's that's absolutely like the canonized Peter <laughs> Sellers right. but it's like you know that came out I think the same year the year before um, um, uh, not Seven Days of May the one with Henry Fonda failsafe oh failsafe yeah, yeah yeah so like, you could do that or like whatever so so you know why not let's go to one that is sort of canonized right. and that is his second to last film I wish it would have been his last actually. And that's uh, being yeah. there. Now, I would like to, if you don't mind, I want to take a step back and really kind of talk a little bit more about Peter Sellers. Because yeah, he's in a, because, because Peter Sellers in and of himself is kind of a fascinating individual. I've actually met a guy that I, from what all the descriptions I've, that I, all my reading led me to believe, I've met a guy similar to this. And this is a person so sort of fundamentally insecure, like, like, it, like, uh, like a level of insecurity you cannot believe. Like, um, and and it, and it comes out. I mean, basically, I think he had a certain amount of mental illness going on. Who did? Peter Sellers. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, 
Like I said, I have a I have a, a friend of mine that I know that that is very much like this. Like he would he was a great, a very funny stand up comedian. Maybe the funniest. If I if I had known genius in stand up comedy, it's this guy. But I wouldn't pay for the amount of um, pain that it causes him because he's never satisfied. And Sellers has that quality and the need for that kind of attention that this other character did. So so give us the history of Peter Sellers. So he's just um, what are you? <laughs> God damn it. What? What's wrong, Tony? Oh, what could be wrong, Joe? Everybody. All right. So, anyways, but but Peter Sellers was like famously like if like it was famously a bad like to be in his family was shitty. He was shitty to his family. Oh, Peter Sellers was shitty to his family. Famously so. Like like. Give me an please. Well, I think that was the time like his daughter uh, and like uh, like watched him in a movie premiere and said, um, you know, I it just and, like teased him and said, I think you looked you looked you looked, you looked a little puffy in that scene there, Dad. Uh, and he told her uh, he he uh, basically uh, uh, kicked her off, uh, sent her uh, sent her home on an airplane the next fucking morning. He seemed distracted, Tom. Yeah, I wonder why. <laughs> I'm watching your tiny penis pee into a light bulb. It's very <laughs> fuck me. Well, not peeing into a light bulb, by not, the way. Not a bulb. It's this is my dedication to the show, by the way. I would never leave the room, but I had to pee so why badly. We, why we just have no? We couldn't just pause this motherfucker. You know what's interesting is I have a cup. Why don't you use this? Jeff? Well, because I wanted something bigger because I really had to pee. And all I could find was a light fixture, right. and I now realize that it's it's a it's a, it's a bulb, so I can't set it down anywhere. <laughs> right. So now your hands are you're going to have one warm hand throughout the rest of. There's no place to put that. I'll you put it down. Bastard. Hold on. Oh, here it goes. Go ahead. Nowhere near me. Tell us more about Peter Sellers. Oh, shut up. Oh, no, my no, God. I'm being serious. Horrifying. No, ah. I like your story. So, so he. Ah, it's like a snail. <laughs> He just, uh, <laughs> sorry. So no, but I'm saying he was like terrible, particularly to his children. Like, oh man, he just did like rotten things with them. <laughs> he would kick them out. He would disown them on a regular basis. Like, like to like as when they're children, you know, you were like, yeah, I never want to see you again, and like kick a five year old out on the street. Jesus, yeah, like he was just a monster well, I had, to, I his, read, to his um, family. The reason he died, that he made one more film called the the something of Fu Manchu, Doctor <laughs> Fu Manchu, terrible movie. But but the reason he died was that um, he died of cancer, but that he would not get treatment. He was feared uh, doctors. That's entirely possible. He also, but I don't. If he died of cancer, I think he died of a heart attack. He had he'd have a, he died had of a heart, heart attack. attack. He had a heart attack. Uh, That's what I said. He'd had multiple heart attacks over the course of his life. the The first one apparently was caused by uh, overdoing a uh, amyl nitrate. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah, no. Apparently, he did way too many poppers, which makes your heart rate heart race. Yep. And then, like his heart, like went boom, and never really, never really recovered after that. So, I, I, th- so the last fifteen years of his life were spent like with a with a with a heart attack looming over him. No, I don't want to make sure assumptions. Make him crazy. I don't want to make assumptions, but it, uh, um, are we to infer? Do you know anything about him having a? Um Exotic or spicy sexual, you know. Oh, he was a he was a pusshound of the first order. He could okay. not he could not not have a woman near him, mostly for a for fucking for sex, of course, mm-hmm. but also mm-hmm. simply for like having feminine approval. That was a part of his insecurity. Oh. Like he needed like he needed like a woman there all the time. So so he was married four times. All of those were miserable fucking marriages. Oh. Uh, he actually uh, he actually proposed to his second wife in front of his first wife while he was married to his first wife. Get out of here! Not kidding, huh? That's like That's he was pretty smooth. He, well, because he was nuts. I mean, he was yeah. he was completely out of his tits. But but he was able to take that his. Uh, he was able to take that sort of intensity. He knew what, he was good at one thing, and he was insanely good at that one thing, right. which was be, which was being a comedic actor. 
right? Wow. So he made and he made no bones about that fact. Like later on, he he would joke that he had no character outside. He had no personality outside of the characters when he inhabited them. Mm-hmm. But he was just a method actor who stuck with the character for long for long periods of time, beginning and end. Wow. Pretty much. So, anyways, there you go. A little bit of a little bit of a little bit of the Peter Sellers. Well, piss on a light fixture, Tommy. That was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> was I not supposed to mention this horror? No, no, I like it. Is this, this, this war crime, this atrocity occurring in front of me? Well, I think it shows my dedication. Yeah, to very dedicated. <laughs> okay, so. I want to see you clean that thing. All right, so we're talking about 1979's being there. This was, by the way, my, my mother's uh, second husband, Ron. Uh-huh. Who's just like a, one of the most lovable guys ever? He he. This Ron? is his favorite film. Really? Yeah. Well, anyway. Well, like I love Ron, but he wasn't. I didn't. Yeah. This is a kind of a sophisticated movie. Well, yeah. In many ways, I'm, I'm a little just, I'm a little surprised. Ron but okay. could be sophisticated. He was just subtle. But anyway, so so um the 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 concept of this movie I think is it's it reminded me. I reminded myself to have the following sort of conversation with you, and it's you know when we did Chayesky episode we talked about network yeah and seemingly this has little on the surface to do with network but it really does in a way because we talked about i, I told the story about how george clooney had decided um maybe to do a remake of network oh right, right. And, settle and, on good night good luck maybe yeah maybe and and that um that you know i'm not a fan of remakes so we should talk about that sometime but oh, i'm not but but that like i thought well maybe there's a case there as great as network is there's a case because the the context the changed. context has changed and the media yeah. they're talking about has changed and so in, in fact in fact the prediction came true the so what's the next step well he went around to college campuses mm-hmm. George Clooney and and screened 1976 Network to college students communication students and they didn't get it they were like well I don't know it's a film about the media what do you like what's the deal here like what are you showing us it's, is this a documentary? Um, <laughs> I don't fucking hate myself. Well, the reason because but. because one of the sort of like central I don't know themes, but things that moves being there along. Mm-hmm. Um, I think either I would never want to see it be remade. First of all, I'm not saying that, mm. but how far we've come from the problem they pointed out, right? It's normalized. So yeah. basically, let, let me. I'm leaving people in the dark here. Peter Sellers plays a gardener. Yes, who has spent most or all of his adult life working for a wealthy man in the in in Washington D.C. Right now, let me please. I need to point out one thing here. This is a very important thing to notice. Uh, he is either like special needs or severely autistic or something. There's something not altogether there in this character's makeup in this person's head. No, I disagree with you. I don't you know, think that's the premise at all. I think we. we well, no, we, I think, and I don't know about premise, but I'm saying this is, I think this is an important component. I don't think it is a component, is what I'm saying. Really? I think that's the point. I think that he's spent all his life, because what he's, he's, okay, let's just back up. He, oh, he's a, he's okay, a gardener maybe for this he's guy. Maybe, okay, maybe he's just been shuttered. Well, we, we need to tell people what the fuck we're talking about, Tommy. So maybe he's like a German shepherd. Hey, I made you, uh, <laughs> I made you a drink. Uh, I just happened to put it in a light fixture. Wow. Well, this is exotic. I've had this taste in my mouth before. <laughs> my dick is in the punch. <laughs> no, talk about losing our audience. Sorry. So, um, so he's a gardener, and he's he lives in this wealthy man's house. And he, there's two things about him. He loves his job as a gardener, yeah. right? And he knows everything about the the plants, <laughs> the garden. But also, he is obsessed with television. So, yes. aside from the the maid who also works there and the and the wealthy man, he really has no contact with hu- the human humanity at all. Humanity with with people at all. With it, the human family. 
<laughs> but but he does. So he gets everything through television. In fact, yeah. he even has a television out in the garden. Right. Right. So what happens is the old man dies, mm-hmm. and basically he's told like you got to leave, and he's right. like, leave. What do you mean? Like, and so he's thrust out into the real world. Yeah. That's not a television. Right. No. Here's what I'm getting. I just want to sort of pause okay. there because that that was the important part to tell us our audience what the story is. But but to your point, I don't know that he is on the spectrum or or autistic. I think that that having no humanity, it's sort of like Nell, or the girl who's like yeah. found in the attic or something and okay. who doesn't know a language. It, it appears to be autism when right. in fact he's just lost touch with all humanity. Now, I guess, okay, so here's a, okay, so here's an issue. I mean, by the way, so that's just the premise that, 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 that's the first problem of the first act is that he's thrust out in the right. world with, yeah, with no human interaction. So, no, I guess, okay, so that really kind of raises an interesting question. See, that's the thing about this movie. I think this movie, um, is a think piece, man. It really is oh, yeah. something to go walk away from yes. and think about for a while. So, 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 <laughs> so okay, does do? that make the difference? What do you mean? What's that? Well, okay. So if if he's not retarded or uh, sorry, uh, delayed uh, or uh, <laughs> like, are you trying to correct yourself? Made that, it, uh, made it, it made it douchier. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, okay. Good. So if he was, if, if he's not delayed, and it's simply like the, that a person who has been retarded by by circumstance in yeah. that situation, yeah. then. Does that make it? Does that make a difference in the rest of the movie? Is there any? Does that add or change the commentary at all? I don't know that it does. Oh, you mean that uh, how people interact with them, for instance, right? Without yeah. even giving away any storylines, just as 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 a premise, they're either cruel or they're empathetic because he is um, in, disabled in some way. In, in any event, he has. There's something warped about him that makes yeah. him like like cra- like crazily innocent and naive. But but not necessarily. I know that's well, not see, the, that's not what I'm trying to say. We're talking about a certain like yeah, okay. syndrome, like <laughs> autism or something. But the point is this: is that he uh, has no access, and he's to been people. made that way yeah. by by media. And I think it's important because yes, yes, only interacting with television for 40 years or something has has made him that way. But also, that television has a nice wrinkle to the to the to the thought. Television and there. communication shows up later on in the film, not just as a component of like what he does and how like sort of like um, narrow his focus is, uh-huh. but also around him the way other people see communication right. and, and and media is is strangely not that far off from how he does. That's fucking interesting. Okay, so well, okay, okay, that so is another that's another nice little wrinkle. Okay, okay so let's go on. So so right. so he goes out so, into the so world. He's, he's he's unceremoniously kicked out of his thing by by you know, by mean lawyers. He's walking around in a in a suit. <laughs> like oh, by the way, this is all in Washington D.C. In a bowler At hat. At one point, he's like walking walking down the island in the middle of a freeway. Yeah, he's just he's just completely lost. He, he runs into in classic nineteen seventies like blackies. black hoodlums. He <laughs> runs into these hoodlums and he he starts asking them like <sighs> he's so naive. He asks strangers in the street, "I'm hungry. Can you?" Feed me, yeah. And they think it's weird, but he runs these these like a black, you know, street and, gang. And because, yeah, of course, and because the person who had always fed him, the maid yeah. at the house, was also a black person. He like he just yeah. associates comfort with black people. So he's so he's ta- he's talking to them, and one of the the youths says to him essentially like, "Listen, sucker." It's like like great nineteen seventies. Right. Like, listen, sucker. If Leon sent you, you tell him you. I have a right. message for Leon, right. and that's like I'm gonna stick his ass with a knife or something like that. Right. Meanwhile, of course, overlooking the <laughs> fact that no forty like Leon. Probably wouldn't send a forty-year-old white man dressed in a in a derby. Well, again, back to Peter Sellers and the absurdity of of all of his films, right? But it's also like Peter Sellers, this character—I forget his name—but his chance, a chance, right? Um, Although it becomes Chauncey soon, right? Um, Chance, right? Um, 
just nods. Okay, if I see him, who, who apparently will be another black man, if his name's Leon, I'll mm-hmm. give him the message that you just gave me, and he he moves on. And so then we get our first sort of circumstance, right? He's looking at himself. He passes by a television shop, and it used to be younger people, if there are any <laughs> listening to us, that there were te- first of all television shops and yeah. repair shops, and they would have TVs facing out of a glass window, and, and then there might be a camera. Or they might be showing shows, or they might have a camera pointing out onto the. In which case, sidewalk. you'd see yourself on the TV right. passing by, right. and of course, you're like idiots and old, you know, middle-aged people like us. We, wow, look at me! Oh, right. well, if I go to the right, it goes to the left. Start breaking like a chimp in front of the fucking thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's what we would do. Yep. So um, he's obsessed with this. Like, wow, I'm seeing myself on television, right. and a limousine backs into him, sort of like you know, injuring him slightly. In the limousine right. is um, Shirley MacLaine. Shirley MacLaine. Well, That's her she's limousine. not actually the limousine. Well, that would be it. She <laughs> played a limousine. She had a lot of range uh, going on, like very often. Like sometimes, like like I remember when she did a rickshaw once. Uh, she did put a good uh, rickshaw, yeah. Yeah, but but she's really in her element. She as played a, a good, she played as a, good, a limousine. She played a good trunk of a car. It was called uh, Terms of Enrearment. Uh, well, no, that was the porn. You're, you're thinking of the wrong thing. So she Anyways. runs into uh, sorry. So her limo runs backs into him, and, and so now him. you know it's it, you know she's thinking about litigation and like let's take you to the hospital. <laughs> hospital right away and right. some for some reason she takes him to the family doctor who decides it's best and it'll it'll create a, a less litigious situation if he stays at the house it's you know a, in a movie where you accept incredibilities because it's so great it's the one moment where you're like okay well they're obvious this is a little far-fetched just setting up a couple of moments like that but yeah sure but, absolutely. but Shirley McLean is married to the great Melvin Douglas he's I mean he you know uh, we've seen him in the the changeling he's yeah, in yeah. HUD he's in all these the candidate all these great movies <laughs> Always plays an old sort of curmudgeon, yeah. a little bit like uh, Cronin. What's his name? Hugh uh, Cronin. Yeah. Um, and so it, he's an extraordinarily wealthy man. Like we're talking like, like absurdly wealthy, like crazy. Who has who has political clout and connections, and who's dying? Right. right. He's an advisor to presidents. This guy, financial advisor to presidents. But so one of the things about this film is, and and, and by the way. You continue on with whatever you want to tell more about this film, but I almost feel like the premise is enough to t- to talk about. Like lots of things happen after that, but all of the things are connected by this nexus. That Peter Sellers, because he doesn't know how to talk to humanity, yeah. only speaks in literal terms, right? And because people can't take how authentic. In a way, he's being given right. its limitations. They only hear him in figurative, metaphoric terms, right? Right. right. So they'll ask. They think he's being incredibly fucking like, wise. What do you think of the economy? That's some for some set of circumstances. The president of the United States, played by Jack Warden, is actually asking the stranger. Um, who's who's Chance the Gardener, but they hear him as saying Chauncey Gardener, right. um, asks him about, like, well, what would you do about our fa- our failing economy? And and Sellers, not knowing how to respond to anything he doesn't know about, which is so limited, yeah. starts talking about gardening and says, the, you know, the soil must be, you know, watered for full growth in the spring. <laughs> and, and, and the plants die in the winter, and but so they the, come back to life. The president, the I see what you're saying. We yeah. must have patience with this economy. And like every, and it's, it's, everything it's, else falls falls. Into that, yes. Yeah, and that's what I mean. And so it's sort of like the condition. Here's why I think it comes back to that thing where it's like it's it's not just about like his limitations because that that could be a modern problem, right? The the limitations right. of his watching television all day in 1979 could now be talked about uh, the limitations we all have that we can't um, put our, our heads up while we're walking because we're on social media. Uh-huh. That that's the modern version of it, right? right? But the second level that this film is talking about is about how that thing 
communication, mass communication, had caused us to only be able to think or to sort of default to figurative <laughs> metaphoric thinking. We right. can't think about anything as it actually happens. It yeah. means this other sort of larger metaphoric thing. Right. And so it's not just that he's damaged. He's the least damaged in a weird in way. In sense, right. Okay. That all these other people. It's and, a brilliant movie. Everything comes along. Everything comes along and feeds and it gets into that feedback loop of him talking about gardens <laughs> and everybody assuming other things. Right. Yeah. So, okay. So... Uh, I don't, yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, that's essentially the element of the, the, the whole of the movie. It is a brilliant movie. Yeah. I think there's some flaws. Like, I think it's kind of a boring movie. It's a, it's a great think piece. It makes you think, and yeah. it makes you think after the fact as well. It's kind of boring. And the other thing I think I, well, is- Let me just, just interrupt. I don't, I don't find it boring, but I, I, I don't blame you for saying it because the pacing is definitely- It's very slow pace. Yeah, okay. I can see a lot of people having a problem with that. Yeah. The other thing too is this. Uh, we're really we're really uh, sort of watching this movie, and you and I are sort of uh, have so far kind of like narrowed down on the whole media concept of it. Right. The other thing too is I think there's an indirect thing going on during the, during the making of this movie that they probably had no intention of doing. It's kind of a great commentary about race. Oh, for sure, it's fucking crazy. Like if you change. Like, first off, to, to really get into this movie, you have to suspend the fuck out of your disbelief. Right. That's just a necessary sure. thing. Yeah. Okay. Uh, because otherwise you see Peter Sellers and other people acting like an idiot and people reacting as though he's wise and it doesn't make any sense. You yeah. have to really buy it. Yeah. Okay. But if you change the race yeah. of anybody in this fucking movie, yeah. even the slightest, yeah. this, be- this, this movie falls would fall completely off the rails. Like, yeah. Chance is white. He's got to be white. There's no way these billionaires oh, would yeah. take a person of color into their house. Oh, well, there's a one that, way. That, none of it falls. The, the only, and there's a moment where they comment on it where the maid is watching oh, him on that TV. Scene. That's she's, the best scene of the movie. She's, she's watching the president of the United yeah. States talk about this moron <laughs> yeah. who she knows she, she is she an raise. absolute moron. And she's sitting with her, her black friends in like a residential hotel yeah. watching it. And she turns up and says, Only in America could a white motherfucker like that make it all. <laughs> Absolutely. It's like, yep, I, you, I almost wanted her to appear like throughout the movie, like some kind of a, like yeah. a like a Greek chorus every once in a while. Like, oh, what the what up, yeah, yeah, You yeah, know, yeah, every yeah. once in a while, because that was. Uh, but but there was that. Uh, but but I think it's a it's a fascinating commentary on race as well. I don't know that it ever intended for it to be that way. Yeah, I think they got halfway through it, realized it kind of was, and it put in that put in that moment in there, which is a great moment. But um, but I don't know. And I read the book years years ago. Yeah, well, it's. I think uh, it's Hal Ashby is the director, and I think he did a, a really, really good job because not just what he did, but what he restrained himself from doing. I mean, oh, the fact that it, yeah. I might even go with you that's a little boring, but it, it almost has to be. Yeah, 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 there's a value to some sort of um, I don't know, boring quality. He did Harold Maud. We're talking the, the director did Harold Maud, which shampoo. I, again is a fabulous movie, a little bit boring in some points. But yeah. and that's. But but here's the thing. I think it also is from the, you know it's from that time period where it's kind of okay to do that. Well, like also, audience, let's celebrate again, that time period. a little bit period. of that trust of the audience and a little bit of it returned. Right? And if all the flaws of the '70s and the culture, and it's talked about a surface level culture and the me generation and disco and all this right. stuff. I will say this: <coughs> it was almost like our neo realism. You know, not I, I, I'm not saying it's actually neo realism, but that time of like a little self indulgence in film, whether uh-huh. it's Woody Allen or Hal Ashby or yeah. Warren Beatty. Well, but it's like, not? hey, let's just slow it down. It might even be a little boring, but there's a big concept here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Reagan came the, along. and Not nearly the big concept of uh, Thor Ragnarok. Oh, I actually get that reference. Oh, fuck. Oh, oh, actually, I did have one thought from uh, this. Okay, circling back to comic book movies. Yeah. Um, the And the uh, after the fox, yeah. the prison, yeah. is the castle the bad guys were using in the beginning of Age of Ultron. <laughs> 
The I, Avengers: I Age of Ultron. I don't care. But I know, but no it, care our people might. Right our people, the, uh, our listeners might. All right, all, Tommy. all three of them. <laughs> all right, buddy. All right, Let me ask you this, Tommy. You do that. You ask me. Do you have anything you'd like to plug, sir? Oh shit! I don't know. Um, Other I, than this light fixture. <laughs> Before it tips over. <laughs> no, no, no. I want it to. Oh, I, I would love for it to tip over. Uh-huh. Uh, no, uh, I just want to. Just, um, no, uh, yeah, go catch me on uh, tomsmithcomedy.com. Go check that out. Um, for reasons that we'll mention, um, will have already been mentioned technically. You'll see what I'm saying in a second here, Tommy. Um, uh, email us for any thoughts you have at um, finleysonfilm at gmail.com. Uh, Rate and review us on iTunes. Um, if you like what we do, and most people don't, um, <laughs> we're going mathematically, statistically relative to the population of the planet. Yes, absolutely. To the population think, of this block. Uh, all right. That about? was kind of my next move. Yes. That's where I was going with that one. All right. If, but if you do, um, you know, we do twice a month put out, um, episodes that are available uh, only to those who are Patreon subscribers. Um, and so if you want to become a Patreon subscriber at the $5 or more uh, level per month, you would have access not only to the two additional episodes, like secret fine reserve episodes, we call them, per month, but also access to all of the secret episodes uh, are in the archive. Um, well, anyway, Tom, it was good. Um, thanks for... Uh, good, good hobla. Yeah, and you know what? Happy ho- If you're listening to this you know, in, in the time frame it comes out, happy holidays-ish. Merry Christmas.